Well, turn with me to Paul's letter to Rome. We're going to read Romans chapter 12, the first 18 verses. Romans is a very doctrinal book. It's a very uh, systematic book that unpacks all of the truths of the gospel from the beginning of fall into sin, everyone guilty before God, to being justified by faith as Abraham was, to how we are called to put off unrighteousness and put on righteousness and the struggle in Romans 7 and so on. We get finally to this latter part of the book where Paul practically lays out how we're called uh, to live. I think it also speaks, as I understand your sermon from what I see in the bulletin, to the reality of gifts in the church that you had some uh, hearing about this morning. So Romans 12, 1 through 18. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be genuine. Abhor that what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never Be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so ends our reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Well, I've said to you already, Paul is writing this wonderful letter to the Romans, and really we could say by Spirit's inspiration, it has been a letter that comes to the church throughout the ages and gives us much instruction. And as we turn to this chapter now in this verses 1 and 2, I believe what we find here is the confessor's calling. And what I mean by that is, I suspect that most of you, if not all, 
are members, either by baptism if you're a child, or if you're an adult, you have made a confession of faith. And what does that then mean? Well, Paul is laying it out before the Roman church. He's laying it out before us. What that actually means for us also today. And I want to look at this passage, verses 1 and 2, from two thoughts. First, he is saying it means that our calling is to be consecrated. He's saying that in verse 1. That's our reasonable service, or as it's put here, your spiritual worship. And then secondly, I want to look at this call that we have, and having made this confession, to be changed. And so with God's help, we want to look at this theme of the confessor's calling. And he's calling us here in these two verses with three imperatives. In other words, he's saying, do this. Because you have made confession, because God in Christ has called you out of darkness to light, and you have come to make that confession publicly here and before this present world, Paul is saying to us, therefore, three things. First, we are to present our bodies living sacrifices. That's in verse 1. And then the other two things, which are contained positively and negatively. Negatively, do not be conformed to this world, but then, rather, thirdly, be transformed or changed in the renewing of your mind. Well, you'll notice that I did add sisters to our reading here. Yes, in the Greek it only says brothers, but the reality is when Paul's writing to the church at Rome, he is including all those there, brothers and sisters. That was an inclusive term in those days as well. Those who had, in other words, come to faith in Jesus Christ, who had been justified by His grace and His mercy, who had formerly lived for the pleasures of this present evil age, and now had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and His forgiveness of sins, so their hearts had been made alive and transformed, so that they desired to serve Christ, to serve God, to worship and obey Him. And their delight, as I trust ours is, to live according to His will. You'll see that later in the end of verse 2. It's by this testing that we will discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul is exhorting them and us to lay down our lives a living sacrifice. Now, you realize, of course, in reading the rest of Romans and the rest of Scripture, Paul is not coming to us and saying, do this, and because you so do, you will have eternal life. Rather, it is because it is done, because Christ has accomplished salvation, and you have come to Him as poor sinners, trusting alone in His merits, His righteousness, and His righteousness given to you, and He's made you alive, out of that life, He's now saying to us, we are to live this way. I appeal to you. He is saying, I beseech you by the mercies of God. And what He is saying to us and to those at Rome, it's God's mercy that you know this truth. It is God's mercy that you're sitting here tonight listening to this message from the King Himself. It's God's mercy that has found you where you were and saved you and translated you into His kingdom. Therefore, Paul says, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I am appealing to you. You know that phrase, in Christ. Paul uses it a lot. 
And the reason he does is because he recognizes that it's by faith we are brought into saving union with Christ. We are made, as marriage is a picture of, we are made one with Christ. He is the head, we the body. And it's therefore, Paul is saying, in Christ that you have been shown all these things, that you have been made righteous. That you not only have died as Jesus died, but you have risen again as Jesus has risen again. And so our lives now are to demonstrate that reality that Jesus is no longer dead, but He's alive in me by His Spirit. And so I appeal to you, Paul is saying. You have been free from sin and death. You are no longer under condemnation. You've been raised to a new life as the sons and daughters adopted of God Himself. You are the elect of God. You are more than conquerors through Him that saved us. Calvin says about this text, this exhortation teaches us that until we really apprehend or understand or grasp how much we owe the mercy of God, we will never with a right feeling worship Him, nor be effectually or powerfully stimulated to fear and obey Him. That's where Paul begins. Think, dear friends, of the mercy of God that found you that rescued you, that washed you. That's pure, free, mercy, grace. And Paul is saying in light of that, Calvin is saying in response to that, present, offer your bodies as living sacrifice to God. Notice what Paul says. By the mercies, plural, of God. If I had a conversation with you after this service, would you be able to detail for me times and places in your life where you experienced the mercies of God? Where He mercied you and you felt down, you felt convicted, and you had just struggled again with that same sin, and you cried out to Him, and His word with authority and power and forgiveness was shed abroad as a light of blessing in your heart and your soul. That's mercy. Paul is clear to the Romans, and he's clear to us. This mercy was first displayed when you were not seeking after Him. When I was pursuing my own agendas, my own pleasures, my own life, He, Christ, came. When we are yet dead in our trespasses and sins, He found us and He sought us and He delivered us by the mercies of God. And this work of His mercying us initially for the first time doesn't stop. When you had tasted for the first time and you came conscious of what it means to be forgiven for Christ's sake, you tasted His mercy, the peace of God in some measure fills your heart and your soul you perhaps thought, how could I ever sin against Him who rescued me again? But you did. And so did I. Because He wants us to learn we need mercy every day. We need transformation every day. And it's His mercy that's renewed every morning even as the sun lights the eastern sky. 
He is the one who drew you initially with cords of love to himself. And it's he, even when you go astray, he finds you, convicts you, brings you back again. And his purpose is not simply to save people and then kind of let them flounder around. Paul is clear in this passage here. His goal, God's goal, with those who are in Christ is to make them like His Son. If you go back in Romans to Romans 8.28, he says that everything will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Why? That purpose that he just mentioned is unpacked later. To be made into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is where Paul is now going. This is the likeness that he's calling us to follow after here in Romans 12. And he does this by saying, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is saying, he tasted the mercies. You ought to be devoting your whole life, your whole being, your whole body, your whole soul to Christ. He's worthy. He's saying, give yourselves unreservedly as a sacrifice of praise to Him. Ultimately, for the martyrs, this is what transpires. They give their whole life. And in a moment's time, they leave this world to be with Him in glory. Oh, they seemingly, to our perspective, leave so much behind, maybe as young men, 30 years old, or young women. And yet, this is a sacrifice, ultimately pleasing to God. But how much more when we can apply this very truth, not in the ultimate sacrifice of giving our life as a martyr, but to give ourselves and devote ourselves to Him today and tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of this month. To not be taken in by this world and all that it has seemingly to offer us to give us happiness and joy and satisfaction. Paul is saying, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Yes, your souls too. He's including that in the language here in some sense, but he is emphasizing it is often our bodies that get in the way of what our souls even desire. Well, children, when you think about this, a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, that visage of that resemblance of what we're talking about here of sacrifice comes to mind. An animal that's brought in and and their throat is slit and all the blood drains out and they actually die. The animal is killed. You can well imagine those animals that are brought up to the altar. They, They maybe have some sense of what's going to happen. They maybe come kicking and halting. But they die when they get to the altar and their bodies are burned in the, in the Old Testament. What Paul is saying here, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice. The idea is, once for all, you're to give yourself to Christ. And that giving and serving Him has ongoing consequences till your last breath. He's using a verb here which means this once for all and yet the the consequences of that have ongoing ramifications for everyday living. 
The moment we become a believer in Jesus Christ, in a certain sense, we are then offering ourselves a living sacrifice for Him who gave His life a sacrifice for us. Paul is saying all those who have confessed Christ have tasted of the mercy of God. This, at the root of their being, is what they desire to do. It doesn't always appear that way, does it? It doesn't in my life, I suspect, and not in yours. It didn't in the Apostle Peter's life. You remember when they're in the upper room and he is being told by Jesus, all of you are going to flee away tonight. <laughs> not me, said Peter. I'll die with you. But when the moment came, his body, his whole being, said otherwise, and he ran. And then even when he was confronted with the reality he was one of them, he denied it with an oath three times. And yet when Jesus, after his resurrection, comes to Peter and asks him this heart penetrating question. Do you love me? Finally, Peter says, you know everything, Lord. You know I love you. Everything I said before and I did before in the last three days may deny that, but you know at the root of my heart, I love you. And if that is at the root of your heart, you have tasted of the mercies of God. The calling tonight to us is devote yourselves. Give yourselves a living sacrifice to God. This is our reasonable service. Our wholehearted giving ourselves to Him. To open our mouths, force ourselves to speak, if it is even that, to say, well of Christ with the person we meet in the shopping line at the grocery store, or our children at home, or grandchildren, or, or our neighbor, whoever we meet with, or when we're tempted by a friend to do something we know is contrary to God. You say, how can I sin against God? You open your mouth, by your actions you demonstrate, how can I sin? My body is for Him. Someone put it this way. Salvation is a free gift that costs you everything. That seems to be a paradox. That's really, in essence, what Paul is saying here. You've known the mercies of God. You're nothing apart from Christ. And now you know that to be true. Now devote yourselves. Give everything for His service. What does Paul mean when he says here, offer your bodies? Well, he says to be renewed in our minds. When he uses mind here in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's a similar term to heart. In other words, the core of your being who you and I are at the core and essence of who we are. Devote yourselves in the renewing of your minds to Him. There, there ought not be one sacrifice that we are called to make that we would ponder and think, is that worth it? Is it too expensive? Too costly? You know, much of what God is calling His people to do is dying to ourself and living for Him. God's not talking simply about our physical bodies here. There may be those who are physically weak. They don't have the title of Miss Universe or a perfect body, they may have Mars and challenges in our bodies. 
But God is looking at our heart, at the core of our being. Are we giving all, our whole self, to serve Him? Compare it, if you will, for a moment. He's not calling us to something He didn't do Himself. He gave everything. He gave his only beloved begotten son who was with him from eternity. He gave him over to be born in time and to be put into the hands of wicked men who abused him and crucified him and killed him. And he did it all for his great love wherewith he loved sinners. And so with Christ, as he's standing there before Pilate, marred and torn, beaten and weak, Isaiah says of him, he had no formal comeliness about him we should look on him, or any beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet, in that hour, we could say there was nothing more beautiful than that. Yes, our sin brought him to that condition, but it's only through that way he can rescue us. And so, dear believer, when you're being ridiculed by others for your faith, do we meekly bear it? When we need to forgive those who have hurt us deeply, are we ready to forgive in light of the one who's forgiven us? Do we love our enemies? Do we show through our bodies and our actions and our words and our thoughts that we are captivated by the mercies of God and we want to present ourselves acceptable by His grace? If you go back to Romans 6, Paul speaks of this. How that, well, let me read what he says. He, speak, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, he just says, let me tell you plainly what this looks like. He says, as you earlier in your life before grace presented and yielded your members, your body as servants and slaves to uncleanness, so now in like manner yield yourselves servants and slaves to holiness. In verse 13 he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness unto God. This is what Paul is saying is your reasonable service. And that's contrary to what this world would say to do with your bodies. If you only pay attention, and I not recommend it, but you just pay attention to how much the significance of bodies have in our present world. On advertisements, on the internet, the exposures of various parts of bodies and advertising. And, and Paul is saying, no. Our bodies are to be used in this reasonable service to God. So if you have made a confession, as I began this evening, a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, do you understand? Do you realize or is Paul appealing to you even more tonight? By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Well, that's what he means by be consecrated. And then he's going to unpack what that actually looks like. What does it actually look like to present our bodies in this way, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he will do that in our second thought by the theme of be changed. 
So in verse 2, what Paul is doing is saying, be transformed. And the word here is like uh, metamorphosis, like that change you see in a caterpillar that enters the cocoon and then is transformed into a beautiful monarch butterfly. That's what Paul has in mind here. This being consecrated in verse 1 demands that there be change that is taking place in verse 2. And it's not just some renovation. It's not, my, my son is in the remodeling, um, uh, fixing up, fixer-upper houses. And, you know, I, I think he does a good job. But, you know, with many of those types of businesses, there's only an appearance of change. It's just the changing of the wallpaper to paint to changing of some parts of the living room or the kitchen to make it look beautiful and acceptable. This change that Paul is talking about is a complete metamorphosis, a complete transformation. By nature, we are conformed, Paul says, to this world by our sin and our unbelief. And Paul is saying that needs to be changed to realize how dependent we are on the Lord Jesus Christ for every breath, for every motion of our body, of our thinking, of our words. Paul is saying you need to be changed from your former way of life. If you have come to Christ, you know there are certain patterns, ways of life, and maybe some of them are still entrenched in your thinking, in your hearts. Sinful ways of thinking. Questioning. Doubting. Thoughts of immorality. Thoughts of sin. And Paul is saying those thoughts, those desires, those things need to be transformed into what is good, acceptable, and holy. That's really what repentance is. Turning from this way to this way. Turning from what we want to what He wants. And then clinging to Christ, not only for forgiveness of our way, but also for grace to put on what He's calling us to be. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 2. According, he says, to the perfect will of God, that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what is that perfect will of God? Well, Paul tells the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. I mean, no, as you read Scripture, this, this sanctification or being made holy as a believer, is a process. Yes, when, when we come to Christ, when we believe in Christ for the first time and we're born again and saved, we in Christ are holy. As holy as Christ is holy. But, at the same time, the Scriptures tell us that we still need to be changed and transformed day by day in progressive holiness and putting off the old man and putting on the new. That's precisely what Paul is talking about here. Let me remind you what he says to the Ephesians, chapter 1. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world for this purpose, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And this change is taking place in every single believer's life. Sometimes it's more evident and more worked out in them than at others, but it is. It has to be taking place or they're backsliding from God. Now Paul begins this idea here with the negative imperative. Verse 2, do not be 
conformed to this world. Why does he say that? Because this world has this tendency and the darkness in this world has the desire to lay hold on you. To keep you. To even change you more negatively. And so therefore Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, he's not saying, of course, you can't wear certain clothes, you can't eat certain foods, and so on. That would be a legalistic view. Paul is getting to the heart. Don't be conformed to the things that this world is pursuing that they imagine will bring them life, that they imagine will give them real pleasure and joy. It will not. This world is continually setting before us lies. Did you ever come to that realization? Did you ever look at the news and go, hmm, something's wrong here. There's a lot in our world that is lies. All the world has to offer is lies. And there's only one sure place to go to find stability, to find hope, to find confidence, to find peace. You see, this world sets before us all kinds of advertisements. When you walk in the grocery store, it's right there in your face. You need this. Until you have that, you won't be happy. Until you have this car, until you have that house, until you, you, you fill in the blank in your life, this iPhone, or until you're this many friends on Facebook. Whatever it is, this is the world trying to ensnare us and entrap us, conform us to them. And Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world. By nature, our minds are blind to this reality. We don't see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But when we begin to see that by faith, by grace, we realize that God is transforming us from one glory to another, to another. Is He working that out for you? And one of the ways He will do that is when we consciously are not allowing ourselves to be conformed to this world, but offering our bodies a living sacrifice. You want a test of this conformity to the world? What is it that occupies your thinking space? What do you think about when you get up in the morning, throughout the day, what consumes your energy? Is it conformed to what this world is pursuing? Or is it the things that God is setting before us so we are seeking to devote consciously our bodies a living Sacrifice. This is what Paul is calling us to do when we have made confession of his name. But the second thing that Paul is doing here is not simply the, the negative because there's a transformation of don't do this, but he's saying do this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And, and, and I think you can grasp this. Is, Paul is not saying one day you're going to be this way, conformed to the world, and the next day you're going to be thoroughly transformed. No, that's not what Paul is saying. This is a process. This is a transformation. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian battle that we 
even sing about from time to time. And so to be a Christian, to make a confession of Christ in this present world, means that we need to think. It requires meditation upon the Word. It requires the use of the mind. It requires conscious, deliberate thought about how am I going to respond to this or that circumstance. Most of the time, if I just look at myself, if something happens and I don't like it, immediately we respond. And it's usually not a good response. And Paul is saying, do not be conformed to your initial knee-jerk Self-centered reactions. Be transformed. Your mind being renewed. You have thought through. You consider in light of God's Word an appropriate word. An appropriate response. Take anger, for example. If something happens and you're displeased by what's happening, it's often because of desires that you wanted to have fulfilled can't be done. And so you get angry. And people use the expression, well, so-and-so, they made me so angry. Really? No one made you. You chose to be angry. You chose to be conformed to this world who says that language. They made me angry. Instead of responding, how can I be angry if necessary and sin not? How can I not be angry and show the mercy and grace of God? How am I called in this situation to offer my body a living sacrifice to God? that will demonstrate the love of God in Christ that was shown to me that I will then show to those who this world would be angry with. What is the will of God, the good, acceptable, perfect will of God in this situation? You see what Paul is saying? He is saying this is a intellectual response. It's not an emotional response. It's a consciousness. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's not something we just allow to happen. It's something we choose to do. To be humble to deflect away from pride and arrogancy and to speak well of Christ and what He's accomplished. And so we need to ask ourselves tonight, in our mind, in our thinking, in our understanding, in our hearts, are we being transformed by the Spirit and the Word of God? And where do you think you will learn this? Yes, from His Word. Being in His Word, meditating in His Word, reading in His Word. But being around those also who will speak well of Christ. If you're only gathering around those who are speaking like the world or acting like the world, who are unbelievers maybe, and you say nothing you will be more affected by them than they will be affected by you. And rather than than being renewed in our minds, we will be conformed to this world. And Paul says to the Colossians, set your mind, your affections, your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, let this thought fill you, which was in Christ Jesus. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself. 
Do we humble ourselves in any occasion in our relationship with others? What are you following after? Is it this which Paul is saying and you desire to do it more and you cry out for mercy to do it better? Well, John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now it's interesting what Paul is doing in the language here. It's passive. It's a passive call. Be transformed. Do not be conformed. But it's passive. Let this take place within you. How? By the Holy Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. But it's not an option. It is a call that we have. This ongoing change within the heart and life of the believer is through the blessed Spirit of Christ who is probing and prodding and convicting and comforting in the heart of His children. And you see this change then that Paul is speaking about is not so much from the bar to the church, but it's It's from thinking in one way and living in one way to begin to see how to live in another way would be more glorifying and pleasing to God. It's not a matter of doing all the outward things we think are required of us. You see, the elder brother thought he did that. And what did he do? Well, Remember when the younger son came home and received with the warm embrace of his father and they killed the fatted calf. The elder son was sitting out on the step pouting because he felt like he didn't get what he deserved. And his father, as it were, went outside on the step, put his arm around him, if you will, and said, my son, what's wrong? All that I ever had, I give to you. But the son didn't see it because he had thought he could earn his father's favor by all that he did. And Jesus is telling us here, it is done, and therefore I am appealing to you in light of the mercies of God. Do not negatively be conformed to this world, but rather positively be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And dear congregation, Dear friends, is this the transformation that is taking place when you have made confession of Christ in your heart, in your life? I suspect if you were like me, it's not what you wished or desire it to be. That's coming one day. It will be complete. You will be perfect. Never have an evil thought. Never have an evil desire. Your will will be completely in line in one with Him. But now, it's still a struggle and a battle. But is that your desire? And if not, then I ask you, why not? Do you not know the mercies of God? Well, tonight I want to encourage you, if you have tasted of the mercy of God, that this calling that He gives to you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, has been completed by Christ so that you may follow after Him. He has earned the way. He has opened the way as we began in this call to worship from Hebrews by a new and living way through His blood to the throne of His Father. And now we too may come tonight to Him in this way. You know, there are many 
in this world today who take and claim the name Christian. It's hard to see. To such an extent, I read of a man who had an office right next to an abortion clinic, and he said he could not help but notice the stickers on the cars as they pulled up to the clinic. Take your children to Sunday school next Sunday. They need and deserve it. Another said, prayer changes things. Another said, come visit. And gives the name and location of the church. This man said, in fact, one day he began to speak with the man sitting outside the clinic, and he was a minister reading his Bible. He had brought his granddaughter to have an abortion. Let not this be said of us, who've made a confession, but rather what we hear with the Apostle Paul. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Purpose, in other words, as Daniel and his friends did. Friends, we live in strange times. Challenging times. We look around us and the world's falling apart. We wonder what's going to happen next week and the week that follows. There's many traveling in one direction and it's easy to join with the throng. But will we go against the grain? Will we offer our bodies a living sacrifice even in the face of mockery, ridicule, and being despised and stand for the name we confess? This is our reasonable service, our spiritual worship. Calvin says... Offer yourselves a sacrifice to God if you have it in your hearts to serve God, for this is the right way of serving God, from which if any depart, they are but false worshipers. Let's not be such, but worship Him in spirit and in truth to His glory. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, a calling is laid upon us. And we recognize in the face of all that happens in our worlds, in our lives today, it is challenging as it was at the time of the Apostle Paul to live a life devoted and consecrated to you and you alone. But in light of the reminder this evening of the mercies of God, Help us to so live our lives in presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you, which is our reasonable service, our spiritual worship. Help us to worship thee in spirit and truth today and each day of this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.